a Diversion Podcast in association with iHeartRadio. This is The GOAT, Serena. She's transcendent tennis player. Just, she's a celebrity, and she's known all over the world. I mean, any place she goes, people recognize her immediately. Um, I think transcending our sport, I think being a woman of color is huge. I think that she understands that uh, very clearly. Serena, sorry, this is kind of a negative one to end on, but there have been a few comments made in the last couple of weeks that maybe you should stop being a celebrity for a year and stop fighting for equality and just focus on the tennis. How do you respond to that? Well, the day I stop fighting for equality and for people like that look like you and me will be the day I'm in my grave. Welcome to The GOAT Season 2, Serena. I'm Chanda Rubin, former world number six, Grand Slam singles semifinalist and doubles champion, alongside my co-host, Zena Garrison, a former Wimbledon finalist, world number four, and Olympic gold medalist. In this podcast, part of Diversion's GOAT series, Zena and I and our guests celebrate the career and life of Serena Williams. We'll trace her path as she evolved from an outlier in the tennis establishment into the all-time Grand Slam singles champion and ultimately a cultural icon. In this episode, Carrying the Torch for Change, we'll describe the way Serena turned the trail blazed by Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe into a multi-lane superhighway for Black players. Also, how she has inspired women all over the world to feel empowered, comfortable in their own skin. In a recent episode, Serena's sister Isha told us how their mother, Orsine Price, taught her daughters early on that if doors that were open to others remained closed to them, they needed to keep banging on those doors until they opened. She told them that they were strong, beautiful Black women. Not every goat transcends sports the way Serena does. Not every goat in sports has a significant impact on our larger culture. Not every goat competes against rivals who are there to play the game because of her. Serena is the towering figure on the tennis landscape. She is so present as a woman of color, that we easily forget what a lonely uphill struggle black players faced before the Williams era. Tennis has always attracted a significant number of African-Americans, but due to segregation and discrimination, they were forced to create and exist in a parallel universe, a system of tennis apartheid. The American Tennis Association formed in response to demand in 1916, is the oldest African-American sporting organization in the U.S. It finally gave Black Americans the same thing the United States Tennis Association offered white people, a structure for formal competition as well as community. Ultimately, Althea Gibson, an ATA national champion, emerged from the group to break the color barrier when she won the French Open in 1956. Gibson won four more Grand Slam singles titles before she passed the torch to Arthur Ashe, 
the first male African-American Grand Slam singles champ. He won three majors, the last at Wimbledon in 1975. During the long ensuing drought, my co-host, Zena Garrison, kept the flickering flame alive, winning 14 titles on the women's tour. She played the 1990 Wimbledon final, inspiring a new generation of young Black players like myself. But the dry spell continued until Serena won her first major in 1999. The extraordinary accomplishments and the fairy tale like story of the Williams sisters opened the floodgates that brought us, among others, major champion Sloan Stevens, major finalist Madison Keys, and teen sensation Coco Golf. Thanks to Serena and Venus, Black players are no longer outliers, representing the slow growth of diversity. They are champions on the biggest stages. While transforming the face of tennis, Serena also made a great personal leap. In her 2009 memoir, she described herself as the princess among five siblings. The baby of the family, she was doted over by her sisters. With her early success and fame, she might have stopped growing internally. But as she matured, Serena evolved into an informed, aware person, all without having to give up her early interest in celebrity and fashion. Serena is an example to others, more role model than activist. She has avoided using her fame to broadcast her views, but she's been on the front lines representing social progress in many areas beyond race. From the start, her rise was controversial. Her domination of the game, as well as the way she conducted her career, triggered resentments. She met all of them head on. Serena has been subjected to racial stereotyping, accused of being that angry black woman. She has been body shamed and accused in front of 20,000 fans of cheating, but she continued to press on to carry the torch. Along the way, she has forced many of us to rethink our assumptions about race, the arc of a career, an athlete's body, gender equality, prize money, tennis fashion, and more. As ESPN analyst and Olympic gold medalist Mary Jo Fernandez, a friend of Serena's, told us. Obviously not just on court, but off court, you know, they've used their voice. You know, Venus fought for equal prize money for a long time, got it at Wimbledon finally. And they've just been, you know, tremendous um, for tennis in general, but obviously for, for women's tennis. Few people are better qualified to assess Serena's impact on tennis than our first guest, Katrina Adams. She was a two-time All-American at Northwestern and a doubles champion on the WTA Tour in the decade before the rise of the Williams sisters. In 2015, Adams, who is also an author, became the first African-American president and chairman of the United States Tennis Association, the very association that once shunned Black players. You, Katrina, were a former professional player. You're now an author. You've written about your experiences. But as a player, we want to talk to you about Serena. You played her before she was a Grand Slam champion. What were your first impressions of her? And were there some things that stood out to you? 
You know, I played her in doubles first, so I already had a, a I already felt the wrath that was coming off of her racket uh, on the doubles court. But when I played her in singles, uh, it was in my year, a couple years before I retired. And I honestly say it was the match that said, you know what, girl, let it go. <laughs> don't need to be out here in the singles court anymore because, you know, I'm serving and coming out of my service motion thinking I'm a serving volley and the ball was already by me. <laughs> Um, and, and just feeling the power and the depth that she provided then. I think she was 17 at the time. But, you know, we knew that we were in for something great from Serena going forward. We just didn't know how great she was actually going to be. But they were phenomenons. I mean, they were, they were or phenoms at that, at that age. Um, you know, with us watching Venus in 1994 in Oakland playing and then Serena was kind of a tag along sister. And, you know, I remember at the French one year, she's sitting there in the stands reading uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky <laughs> book that's about this thick. And I'm like, who is this child? But I mean, you know, so you knew that they were destined to be great. Well, it's very interesting, too, because you also you run the Harlem Junior Tennis Academy there. And how do you see the impact that it's made? Um, Venus and Serena have made on the young ones that are coming up. You know, Zena, I was following you. So you were kind of like my big sister. Yeah. And then <laughs> Chanda came behind me and she was kind of like my little sister. So I was sandwiched in between. But, you know, when you have Venus and Serena come out, you know, we were more like aunties for these kids when they came out um, and, and feeling proud just to know, you know, the journey that they took, the route that they took, but just, Watching their focus, I think that was the biggest thing for me mm -hmm. is really seeing how they were focused day in and day out. Every time they came to the courts, they handled their business and they left. And, and they, were, they were doing their thing either as sisters or as a family with their parents around or their, or their other sisters that were in tow. And I think that was probably really is what kept them out here this long because of the family environment that they were able to have at a very young age that, that stayed with them. The Williams sisters blazed a unique trail, but one of the untold stories about the progress of African-American players in tennis is the solidarity they have always shared. There was a long dry spell after Zena's Wimbledon final, but the number of competent Black players in tennis was slowly increasing. Those players, and I was one of them, would communicate and often gather for social occasions at tournaments, even though they might be facing each other the net the following day. Veteran players like Katrina Adams always were supportive and encouraging of the younger generation. Up through 2021, there was no play at all at Wimbledon on the middle Sunday. It was a day of rest for everyone. It was also the day Black players routinely got together for a 4th of July barbecue. I was talking to Serena about this not too long ago, is when, remember when the, the the Wimbledon that would no longer be that Sunday, we would always get together in the minorities and we would cook and, mm -hmm. you know, have a good time. And I asked Serena if she remembered that, you know, her and Richard and Venus came and she said, oh, yeah, that was so cool. So um, but those were very important for us to pass it on to the younger ones. And it was nice to know that they remembered that, you mm -hmm. know? So. Yeah. And, and the same for yeah. me as well, because I remember the two of you inviting me, making sure I showed up. Cause I was like, what is this? I, didn't, I had no idea. And it just created a little bit of that bridge and a little bit of the camaraderie and the things you don't normally have. And 
You know, we talk about Venus and Serena being together. They had a little bit of that, you know, having a sister out there, but it's still kind of a lonely, a lonely road a bit. And, uh, you know, to be able to tap in is important. Yeah. And I think that, that, that middle Sunday for us at Wimbledon too, you know, we were bridging generations, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the past, the present and the future um, in so many different ways. And, and it wasn't about what your ranking was. It was really about us coming together and sisterhood and, and being family. And I think that's what has allowed all of us to continue to have such great relationships uh, between the three of us, as well as with Venus and Serena um, as well. From the very start though, the Williams sisters were looking at the bigger picture in tennis. Their drive to introduce greater diversity in the game went hand in hand with other issues that would come to dominate the conversation about the American social experience. The USTA is the American affiliate of the body that governs tennis globally, the International Tennis Federation, or ITF. Adams' work in the USTA included significant roles with the ITF and the Fed Cup. The Fed Cup, recently rechristened the Billie Jean King Cup, is second only to the Women's Soccer World Cup as an international women's team competition. Well, I I mentioned, Kat, your role as president of the USTA, your role with the ITF and Fed Cup, uh, which has been so much about, you know, gender equality. She's been a player that has helped sort of move the conversation about gender equality, you know, further. Where do you see her impact and and her what has her role been, um, you know, to you in terms of gender equity uh, in, you know, in tennis and in sport? I think it's been huge. And I think a lot of it is, you know, she, she learned from Venus. I mean, Venus was our voice when we were looking for equal prize money um, and finally getting it at Wimbledon, you know, just a few years ago. Um, and so, I, you know, having had Venus there for her to learn from, you know, it just made her voice that much more powerful and stronger along the way. But everything that Serena fights for is for, is for equality. It's to be treated equally um, with her peers, with our male counterparts, um, when it comes to prize money, comes to opportunities, et cetera. You know, when she became a mother, I think it, it impacted her that much more because she wants to make sure that her daughter, Olympia, <laughs> yeah. has the opportunities that she didn't have growing up. And she wants her to have those opportunities mm. now that are equal to what we are all uh, reaping but still, there's we have so much room to grow and 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 to go um, going forward. But I think she has definitely been uh, impactful um, with her presence, with her voice, um, just with her leadership, not only in tennis but in business, with her Serena Ventures, and really showing women and little girls that you know you can be <laughs> out there for business. And I just remember, you know, in the early days, people were really kind of ragging um, both the sisters on playing such a limited schedule. Mm, yeah. Guess yeah. what? They were in school. They were finishing high school. Then they went on and got, you know, a college degree and started started their own businesses. And, and look where those businesses are now that when they do walk away and say goodbye to the competitive part on the court, they're still going to be just as competitive off the court in the different ventures that they have. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Katrina Adams on The GOAT, Serena. Most great players have to navigate controversy a few times during their careers, often on big occasions. 
When the stress level is high enough to trigger powerful emotions, things can get pretty crazy, pretty fast. It happened to Serena in the 2018 U.S. Open final as she was seeking that elusive 24th Grand Slam title. Serena's opponent that day was 20-year-old rising star Naomi Osaka, who at age five had sat in the same stadium watching Serena play. With the exception of matches between the Williams sisters, this was the first Grand Slam singles final featuring two women of color, a grand occasion. But trouble erupted when Serena incurred a code violation because the umpire observed her coach giving hand signals from the stands early in the second set. Enraged at the implication that she was cheating, Serena began sparring with the chair umpire and the situation escalated from there until Serena was slapped with a third code violation. That violation cost her an entire game, a critical one that enabled Osaka to serve out the win. By then, the crowd was stunned, confused, and deeply disappointed by Serena's loss. Upset, in tears, Osaka apologized on court to the crowd when it was over. The jarring, almost surreal climax left everyone in a state of shock, including Osaka, Williams, and Adams, who had to improvise a new speech for the trophy presentation. She said, Naomi, welcome to the big stage. Serena, welcome back. These two weeks, you two have showed your power, your grace, and your will to win. Perhaps it's not the finish that we were looking for today, but Serena, you are a champion of, the ch of all champions. This mama is a role model and respected by all. Naomi, congratulations on your first Grand Slam title. You are indeed a champion and a force of the future. Later, Adams was criticized by many for kowtowing to Serena and downplaying the achievement of Osaka. I'll never forget watching the Osaka match at the US Open, Osaka and the Williams match, and it was over, you know, with all the stuff that went on. I knew you understood the history, and I knew that you would realize that this is a moment, but you also had to like channel something else. You weren't in my, this is my mind. I don't know if I was right, but not just be this, the USTA um, CEO, but you had to be basically the aunt because you had to bring on something else. How, what, what was going on with your mind when that happened? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, a lot of it is, is really a blur, um, <laughs> you know, because everything was moving so fast and, 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 you know, as I, I wrote about it in the book, um, uh, my book own the arena, <laughs> um, you know, I, I had prepared notes that you normally have that are kind of really generic, um, for, for the championships. It wasn't my first rodeo. It was actually going, you know, almost my, my last, my last women's final, but, I knew that the speech had to be different. I knew I needed to kind of grab their attention individually from my relationship that I had with each of them. You know, a lot of people got on me about, about my comments, but I know what my intent was. Yeah. Uh, they know what my intent was um, behind it. And there was no picking sides one way or the other. Uh, I was thrilled to be standing there with two women of color 
that were just completed in the finals of the U.S. Open, which was going to be my last one mm-hmm. uh, as the president and chairman. And so, you know, it, w- it was a moment to remember. That's for sure. It's uh, and now I've immortalized it in, in the book so that people can, you know, stop asking me that question. <laughs> Adams told us that she did not try to speak with Serena in the immediate aftermath of that final but eventually connected with her through Serena's hitting partner at the time, Sasha Bayin. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's such a touchy situation. And, and we, knowing Serena, I let it go mm-hmm. to an extent. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had the conversation with Venus immediately after the match, um, downstairs in the, in the, in the bellows of the, of the stadium. Um, and I was going to, you know, I, I, did, I did send her a text, but I didn't pick up the phone to call her just because... We know Serena. Talk about it. <laughs> Give I mean, her a moment. <laughs> definitely want to talk about it. Yeah. I, I really was feeling more for Naomi mm-hmm. having that first Grand Slam moment um, taken away from her, if you will, uh, to not really be elated and, and really feel the warmth and the love that most champions feel. The fact that, you know, she apologized for winning. Um, you know, that, that hit the heart and the soul very deep in the belly, um, to, for some, for any player to feel like they had to apologize. And so was, I was more concerned about reaching out to her, um, and to her camp of which I did immediately afterwards. And you know how you get a thousand texts, (laughs) uh, I had not heard from them or reached out to Sasha again, about a week later, uh, he responded immediately. I then spoke to her within the hour, um, you know, on the phone. And, and then I was able to, to sleep at night and, and move forward because um, that was, that was really important to me. Um, and, you know, for Serena, she knows how I felt. I think I said it all on the, on the court. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's history, but, you know, as we move forward and, and we start to look back, you know, you, you really understand the impact of such occasions like that. Um, particularly with what's happening with Naomi right now and, and what she's experiencing and dealing with. And a lot of it, she says, you know, went back to that moment, um, yeah. to that match that day, and, and which is unfortunate. Serena's meltdown was a sign of the pressure she was under as she pursued the Grand Slam singles title record. It was also a harbinger in that Serena would play two more major finals the following year and surprisingly lose both. Throughout her career, though, Serena expressed her outsized personality and broke new ground in more benign ways. When Zena asked Adams for her most memorable Serena moment, the former executive didn't hesitate to answer. Oh, boy, girl. (laughs) You know, I think, Zena, you might have been there with me. When she walked out on the U.S. Open whatever year it was in that denim outfit with those boots. And I was like, what? And that was your, that was your reaction. That was literally my, that was literally my response. Like what the, and, and I was like, you know what? This woman owns her arena. She owns her identity and she is not, you know, looking back for anybody to give approval about anything. And I think, when you really when you really look back on those early years of the transformation because she transformed um Mm -hmm. through the evolution as to who she is today she's always been authentic and so the one thing that i admire about serena williams 
is her authenticity. And, and, and that is something that, you know, will be a, forever be a part of her legacy. You know, when you look at Serena, we know how the game transformed um, because of what she's done on the court, because of how she's dealt with things off the court and how she's, you know, built the sport um, to be where it is today. And she's the greatest of all time. She has the most grand slams in the open era, which is important. And, you know, and she's a mom and she's a great mom. I, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what's on Instagram every day. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm twirling around and doing the ballerina. Is, is thing. she a mini, me, a mini me of Serena or what? It's oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's just the most adorable thing. And I, and I think, you know, she has, she will have an everlasting impact on our sport for women and men, for people of color and non-people of color. We'll be right back with more after this. Katrina Adams is not the only one who believes that authenticity is one of Serena's most striking attributes. Our next guest, who shares that view, is probably known to most of you as a former star reporter at ESPN and currently a host on Good Morning America, Robin Roberts. A diehard tennis fan, Robin has witnessed the tantrums and emotional outbursts thrown by the likes of John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, Nick Kyrgios, and many others. She also was present in Arthur Ashe Stadium for that controversial 2018 U.S. Open final between Serena and Naomi Osaka, but only as a spectator. She saw an aspect of the incident that others overlooked or judged irrelevant to the basic issue of Serena's behavior. Oh boy! I mean, I was there for that match. I, I was sitting, had good seats, uh, but I was there for the match. I wasn't in the press row. I was, and it, and you know what? It was really interesting. It played differently for those of us who were there in the stadium mm-hmm. and those who were watching on TV. Mm. And and because my friends who were watching on TV were more critical of Serena than we were there in the stadium. Okay. And I think in part because because um, we saw at the end, well, first of all, and, and you talk about the, the change that she brought about, she really put to the forefront how women and men are treated differently when mm. it comes to certain calls and the, and the, and the chair on. Yep. Um, we, we just we, we know what men have done and gotten away with and, and, and not excusing what, what happened at all. And, ne- and neither was uh, Serena. Um, but we didn't hear in the stadium. We didn't hear the first um, the first time that she was warned for coaching. So, so you didn't right. hear any of we that. Did, no, we didn't mm-hmm. hear that in the stadium. But people at home, of yeah. course, got it. So that's why it was a little bit different. And nobody could see how uh, because people were being critical of us in the crowd. And we did cheer for Naomi when it was all said and done, especially how Serena was very graceful and, and showed a lot of grace in, in talking to her. And, and, and But the crowd, especially when she went up, Naomi went up into the stands to greet her, her friends and family. But we were very supportive. Um, but it was very interesting how, how it played out differently to those of us that were there and those that were watching on television. And when I posted something that was positive about it, I got slammed on, mm. on my, my social media because people really? were, were very, yeah, were very critical. Um, they thought that that was taking away a moment from, um, from Naomi. And we, would, we kept going back that the, there were two separate things that were going on here. And when it was all said and done, 
Serena was really stepping up and embracing uh, Naomi at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, she really was. And who knows? Um, you know, Naomi was playing. She was playing some. Naomi was, was serving her butt off. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, and, and Serena wasn't trying to say because of that is the reason that she lost. And we weren't saying that either. Robin was also a gifted athlete turning down a scholarship from LSU because she felt it was too big and impersonal. Roberts attended Southeastern Louisiana University, where she accepted a tennis scholarship, but made her mark in basketball. She left Southeastern Louisiana as the school's third all-time leading scorer and rebounder. We asked Robin about her athletic background, and she told us. I wanted to be you. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Oh my Everyone goodness. knows that I played basketball at Southeastern Louisiana University, but my scholarship was tennis. And I just have such admiration and covering you all as I did when I was at ESPN and didn't mind when I got confused for you because there wasn't many of us walking around <laughs> the ground. So they go, oh, Zena. Said, yeah, okay, John Girl. Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's we me. answer to, to all of it. <laughs> I was proud proud to do that. I love hearing that. And thank you so much. Like many, Robin was blown away by the talent of the Williams sisters. But she was no less impressed by the independent way they developed and how that might have shaped their characters. Richard not really having a tennis background. And it was it was there was just something about them, the beads and just from the get go they were their true authentic selves and i was just so appreciative of the of of what they were bringing to the game and also very in a way protective too because you know people they they didn't fit the norm and and they um were not deserving of some of what they what they received early on but you know what it all worked out yeah it all worked out yes Sometimes people forget the resentment and criticism Richard received for keeping his daughters out of formal competition, ignoring the fact that his decision was based partly on his insistence that his girls get an education. Remember early on, because they let him, and let's let's bow down to the mama too, Orsi. I mean, she was just, please, 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 please. And they wanted them to have a normal childhood. Mm -hmm. And so everyone was talking about, no, they had to be totally focused on tennis. It has to be 24 seven. And they had other interests, you know, fashion, this, that, and the other. And people felt that would would not have the longevity. But again, this is what I really appreciate about Serena and Venus. They created their own path. You talk about trailblazers. Yeah. They, I mean, even though, yes, uh, you all, um, Althea, there were others, uh, Arthur, uh, yes, there were, yes, there were other players of color before <laughs> them, but the way they went about it was so different. And I think that is something that is going to be a part of Serena's legacy. I mean, she owns it. Let's not forget that Robin was a trailblazer in her own right. She began her career at a time when women sportscasters on a national level were rare and women sportscasters of color basically non-existent. I've always wanted to ask you this because I knew, you know, I remember you came in, but you, 
you know, the, the black woman came in and the sportscaster for us as a player, we were like, wow, somebody, mm-hmm. you know, can talk about our stories, feel, you know, it was just a different thing. And then Stuart Scott, Scott both of yeah. you guys at the same time. And then, then Venus and Serena came in and I always loved how you just articulated, you know, the way you said different things about, you know, players that we didn't see mm. as a player from basically, you know, the white media, basically. So, right. I, I hear you. I feel you. And uh, I was very, very happy to be able to fill that void. Um, and I'm very appreciative of the, the Williams family. Um, this was a time before ESPN had, you know, ESPN owns tennis right now. You, mm, you know, yeah. all the grand slams <laughs> and everything like, well, back in the day, we were the little kid in the back and I had to go, Hey, come on, come talk to me. And, and Richard and Orsi were very good about if I went to Wimbledon, um, they would find time for me to sit down with Serena or wow. sit down with, with Venus. And I really, really appreciated that. And I think they knew that, look, I'm going to be fair. I'm never mm-hmm. going to sugarcoat it. It doesn't do you any good. doesn't do me any good. It's a disservice if I don't do my, my job. But I can do it in a way that, um, I, you know, I, I have ears and I hear the commentators sometimes <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? Uh, did they, just, did they yeah. just say that about that player, but said something different about the other? Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, you know, that's it's interesting because you've got this background in tennis as well as in team sports and basketball. And you've been around so many other great athletes, you know, champion athletes your interactions with Serena, were there any, Mm. was there anything that kind of stood out in those interactions? What did you see in her that could have maybe explained how she became such a special player? I mean, you have to, anybody who plays professional sport, whatever it is, you, you have to have a, a belief in yourself. She truly, there was something deep down inside of her that she felt that she was the best from the get-go. And it wasn't a cockiness, well, maybe a little bit. That's okay. You got to have a little bit of that. But it was an assuredness and, um, and her strength and her, 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 her body type. I mean, I remember uh, 1999, the U.S. Open, and she came into the studio at GMA. And um, after winning, of course, the, at, at the age of 17, and I was talking to her mom, and I said, has she always been built like this? And she said, honey, she came out of the womb like that. <laughs> and now look at Olympia. So, now look at Olympia. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so there was something about her stature. There was something about um, just the, the unspokenness as well. Well, I was sitting here and I was thinking about, you know, you know you're a goat in your own right. But sports, oh, sports you know, has basically the mentality that you get out of sports. A lot of times people don't understand how it contributes to other things that you do. And one of the things that, you know, I compare you and Serena with is the difficult challenges, obstacles that you've gone through physically. And one thing I love about you, Robin, is, you know, you've gone through all that you've gone through, but you always find a positive. And people don't understand in sports, we have to turn a negative into a positive. Yeah, exactly. And I am I am a proud product of Title IX. I'm so grateful. No, I didn't go on to be a professional athletes like you, but I was able to learn through playing sports. And I'm also I didn't 
I'm a state bowling champion in Mississippi. Oh, 12 girl. years old, state bowling champion. We didn't so know you that. Guys, <laughs> didn't know that. Step back. You, you need to step back. But it, there, there was something that I learned through playing sports, and it's about not necessarily the accomplishment. It's what you overcome for the accomplishment. That's the thing that we remember the most. I mean, I, I'm sure you, you feel the same way. Yes, you can remember your titles, but all that you had to do to overcome to get there. And I am just so uh, I, I just um, so grateful for the traits that I learned through playing sports and, and wanting to um, just absolutely show up just like you all did. I just want to show when there are not many people who look like you doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. There are extra eyeballs on you. Uh, that's fine. Um, as Daddy used to say, "Don't give the enemy ammunition. <laughs> Come prepared." And so I, 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 and but I'm also very grateful for those who really lifted me up and the and the opportunities. But it was just a a true belief um, that I was where I was supposed to be, and I was so grateful that I was able to have the opportunity to to um, to witness somebody like Serena. You know how I don't know about your folks, but you know I would hear my my mom and dad, bless their hearts, are both deceased. I used to hear about, you know, oh, Joe Lewis and they all these athletes and all, you know, Babe Ruth. And I'm like, huh? Well, we could say we were around with Serena Williams. We yeah. were here to witness that kind of greatness. Serena's interest in fashion and the statements she has always made with her outfits may seem like frivolous aspects of her career. But you can never overestimate the impact appearances can have in a one on one sport where you are constantly measuring and judging yourself against other individuals. How you look on the court, what you wear, they send signals. I'm going to tell you a little story. So I'm playing junior tennis in Mississippi. Liz Lagarde, I can remember her name, Liz Lagarde, okay? And the parents used to fuss at us because she had us beat. She was already up three games when we, t- when we came onto the court. <laughs> there, was, there was something about her that she was already, it was already three love. Oh, wow. And I know, and, but, but I, I, my, and my parents would say, why do you all let this girl do that to you all? And that's what Serena does. Yep. Serena does the same thing. She comes out there. And the players know that, oh, my gosh. Um, and I love how they, they, the, the respect that they have mm-hmm. for her. You know, the way Coco talks about her mm-hmm. and, and, and wants to play her. You know, people, they, they, I, I can't believe anybody would want to, but they do. They want to play, they want to play the best. But there is something about her, her mere presence, her stature, the way she walks out, the confidence that she holds. And I, I do think that that gives, and that's all the great ones, like Tiger Woods, the same way before yeah. when, he, when he was in his heyday. It was the same thing. It was like, oh, my gosh. And the thing about her, first of all, we just can say Serena. We don't want to say Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. When you're just a one name, that just tells you. <laughs> and it's not just because of her tennis. It is because of who she is, because of her fashion, because of her philanthropy, because of the woman that she is. Thank you, Robin and Katrina, for your insights. In this episode, Carrying the Torch for Change, we've heard how Serena has changed the racial dynamic in tennis. During her career, people of color, many of whom would otherwise have no interest in the sport, embraced the game. Every Serena match was a must-see moment. They flocked to tennis mainly for one reason, Serena. 
African-Americans didn't just begin to pay more attention to tennis, they began to play it and to encourage their children to take part. As a result, the ranks of the Women's Tennis Association blossomed with black talent. As players, Zena and I, along with many others, have benefited from a color line heavily damaged by Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe and later destroyed by the Williams sisters. A goat will not be denied. By the sheer force of her amazing success and the way she presented to the public, Serena forced the culture at large to re-examine its assumptions about race and numerous other issues revolving around women, sports, and our ideas about beauty. As Serena climbed to ever-increasing heights as a tennis champion, she took the sport of tennis and many of our attitudes with her. Our guests, women of color who traveled a path similar to Serena's, were uniquely positioned to evaluate her impact. In coming episodes, Zena and I and our guests will take a closer look at Serena's status as a celebrity, the controversies she experienced, her greatest wins, and other aspects of her status as the GOAT. The Goat Serena was written by Pete Boda. This season is hosted by Zena Garrison and Chanda Rubin. Produced and directed by Mark Francis and Scott Waxman. Our consulting producer is Andrew Kalb. Production assistance from Anita Okoye. And our social media consultant is Stephen Tompkins. Original music by Andy Marvel. Our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Executive producers, Scott Waxman and Mark Francis. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA and Susan Canavan. Diversion Podcasts.